good to be here. I told uh, Brother and Sister Smith uh, tonight before we came, I said, uh, you all think that you called me to help you in revival, and what you didn't realize, maybe, was that you called you to help me in revival. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for being here this week, and I'm thankful for the blessing of the Lord in uh, being here in service with you. Turn with me to a very common section of Scripture in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Sister Betty, you can start the clock, okay? Okay, Acts chapter chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Uh, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. That's the reading of Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Your title tonight is, It's All About Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, as we look at the background on this section, you understand that uh, Philip was an interesting man. He was ordained as a deacon, we see, back in Acts chapter 6. And out of those seven that they ordained to set up the office of a deacon there, we find at least two of them were preaching later on. Philip, uh, who uh, takes the formal title of a minister in chapter 21 of verse 8 of the book of Acts, he's referred to as Philip the Evangelist. And so he, he was a, a preacher, uh, had the role of evangelism. And uh, we also find that Stephen seems that he did some preaching also himself. Uh, but Philip, uh, we don't know that much about him in the Bible other than chapter 6, chapter 8 here, and also in chapter 21 he's mentioned one time. But what we do know about him is that uh, he had a different kind of ministry. We know that, first and foremost, that he ministered to his family. 
the Bible says that he had four daughters and they apparently he taught them and they had the ability to speak about the scriptures. We know that about them, that he had that he made the ministry of his family uh, uh, an important priority in his life. And I want to encourage you tonight to do the very same thing. You know, if we could just keep all of the children that are born into our churches, if we could just keep them uh, uh, continuing in the church when they become adults, they would get saved and continue to serve the Lord and then bring uh, spouses into the church and have more children. You know, we we would be, our churches would be full in just a decade or two. And if we had been able to retain all of the children that have passed through the doors of our churches over the last 20 to 30 years, our churches, we'd be busting out the seams and we'd be having building projects everywhere. I want to encourage you to make the ministry of your family a priority. And it's very, very easy to let everything else encroach upon that time that needs to be spent with them, teaching them and ministering to them about the Word of God and God Himself. We also know about Philip that as an evangelist, he went to several places and preached the gospel where that later on the apostles came and either established churches or that they were confirmed the churches that had already been established there and strengthened them. We know that uh, Philip uh, went to Samaria uh, earlier in this chapter. We know that uh, later on he went to um, Azotus, that he went to Lydda, and uh, that he ended up in Caesarea. He went basically right up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, preaching the gospel in different cities, uh, and churches were established there. You know, there are different kinds of ministries. And oftentimes, when men get called to preach, uh, they think that, uh, that the pastoral work is the only ministry that God has called men to do, and that's not true. That is not true. We see that Philip is sort of this unsung hero, so to speak, of the book of Acts in that he had a tremendous influence on the gospel going out in the early church. And yet we don't, we don't, we just see his name a few times. But without Philip, the evangelist doing the work, there was so much of, of the churches that may not have been established and so much Christian uh, propagation that may not have happened. Listen, uh, we want to make sure that we are always respectful and supportive of one another in the roles that God has given to us uh, in the church. You know, in the book of Ephesians, it says this, and I'm going to go there for just a minute uh, with a, for a supportive scripture. In the book of Ephesians, it says this in verse 11 and 12, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And Paul is saying that God set up different offices in the church with different roles, different ministerial roles. And I think of those ministerial roles much like I think of uh, the different roles that a man and a woman have in a marriage. 
And the same way that we think about the different roles that different church members have as different body parts in the body of Christ in the local New Testament church. And that is this, that one role is not important, or excuse me, is not more important than another, uh, but that the roles are different, and yet they are all important, and I believe that each one of us ought to respect all of the other roles, and all of the other roles ought to respect the role that we are in. And that goes for everybody. And so every minister, every God-called minister is useful to the Lord and has a purpose. And every church member is useful to the Lord and has a purpose and has a work. And our brothers and sisters, we ought to support one another in those works that God has called each one of us to do. Philip had a different work. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, you see here that Philip, earlier in this chapter, had gone to Samaria, and what we would call his effect there was a great revival. They had a great revival there in Samaria, and many people were saved. And uh, it, you know it was a great work because the devil was fighting against it uh, through uh, Simon the sorcerer, but that's, that's another, uh, time, that's another uh, account for another time. Uh, and you know, Philip had great success there and no doubt he was enjoying, uh, seeing, uh, God bless the people and save many souls. But then God tells him, says, Hey, I want you to leave this place and I want you to go down to this deserted area down toward the desert to a, to sort of a vacant spot. And you, you must imagine there, uh, the kind of faith that it took for Philip to do that. And you know, God always knows the end from the beginning. That's what the Bible tells us. He knows the end from the beginning. Uh, but when he calls you and I to a work to do something, most of the time, we don't know what the end of that is going to be. And the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please him and that we walk by faith and not by sight. When God calls us to do something, we ought to just go and do it. Amen. You know? I mean, his faith here was very similar to the faith that Abraham had to have. You remember back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, where that God told Abraham, essentially, he said, Get thee away from thy country, away from thy kindred, away from thy father's house, and just go, go to a place that I will show you. I mean, think about it from Abraham's standpoint. Not only did he have to leave all that he knew, uh, but he didn't even know where he was going. God said, you just trust me and I'll take you there and I'll let you know when you get there. No different than what the Lord did with the children of Israel. After he led them out of Egypt into the wilderness for 40 years, they were heading towards the promised land, uh, but he led them by what? A pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Gave them just enough manna to sustain every single day. They had to trust him. And of course, we know that the application to us is that we are all uh, on our way to heaven, those of us that have been born again. Uh, we are heading towards the real promised land and that we are going down through the wilderness right now in this life and that we've got to, we've got to trust the Lord in his direction for our lives. And Philip had to do that. Philip had to do that. And, uh, you know, each one of us, like I say, each one of us has a work from the Lord. And, uh, I want to encourage you to seek God's face for that work that God has called you to do. That work that God has called you to do will be one that will require faith from you. Uh, it will require, uh, you to step outside your uh, comfort level, to step outside your bounds of, um, of security. 
and trust Him unequivocally. Trust Him. And I want to encourage you tonight to search for that and to follow after Him. Uh, Jesus said, my sheep hear me and they know my voice. If you've been convicted and recognized it, if you've been saved and recognized it, then you know the, the still small voice that Elijah in, uh, experienced. You know the direction of the Spirit of God in your life. And he arose and went. He was obedient to that. I mean, we need to make sure that it's the Lord speaking and that we are very clear about what God's direction is. But brothers and sisters, once you are extremely clear on that direction, it's time to move. It's time to move. And he arose and went. When he knew what he was supposed to do, he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. What I always love about this verse is the fact that he did not let cultural barriers, and it seems like I'm talking about that a lot uh, this, this week, but he did not let cultural barriers get in the way of loving people and loving God and trusting God and doing God's work. You know, uh, we get so tripped up sometimes on fear and anxiety and uh, uh, all of these emotions when we feel like that God has called us to do something. Uh, very clearly, Paul said in 2 Corinthians in chapter 2, he said that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices, that we don't want Satan to get an advantage of us. Well, we know what Satan's devices, what his methods are. Remember Paul said in the, when he was talking about the whole armor of God, he said, you know, beware of the wiles of the devil. Beware of the methods of the devil. We look to the word of God and we know some of the methods, some of the tricks, some of the schemes, some of the traps that Satan has. He doesn't need any new ones. Because every generation of mankind thinks and behaves just like the previous generation. Sinfully. Sinfully. And uh, Solomon said in one place, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. Uh, We get afraid instead of trusting the Lord. Uh, But what he did here was he didn't let the fact that this man uh, was from a different country, that this man may have had a different skin color, uh, that this man... Uh, was probably had a different social status in that he was of royalty working for the queen. He didn't let any of that affect him. He went over and followed the Lord and had a love for that man. And I also believe that he trusted God in this. Knowing that God was working on his end, he knew what? That God was working on the other end also. And a lot of times we forget that. We don't think about that. We get afraid to do the part that God asks us to do, not believing that God is also working on the other end. He is. How many blessings have we lost? Because we don't trust that God is working on the other end. So he goes and and he followed, he followed the example of Jesus in this, didn't he? You remember over a, uh, John chapter 4, when Jesus approached the Samaritan woman and asked her to give him something to drink, and he crossed all those barriers too, didn't he? He even crossed a gender barrier there. Man talking to a woman. She said, what are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, uh, for something because we don't have any dealings with each other. 
you know. And so Jesus gave us an example of a, of a universal love uh, uh, and, and a, uh, a no respect of persons. Uh, he he uh, just talked to her because uh, he was not concerned about the characteristics of her body. He was ca- uh, concerned about the characteristics of her soul. And so was Philip. And Philip had shown you that earlier in the chapter when he, as a Hellenist, as a Grecian Jew, went and preached uh, the gospel in Samaria. <laughs> Same thing Jesus did. <laughs> uh, just means a Greek. He was, he, had a, he was of Greek culture. So he sees this man. He goes over to him. He, he was returning, sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, we, we see this man is seeking the Lord. This man is seeking the Lord. You know, we tell people, seek the Lord, call, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon the Lord uh, while he is near. You know, quoting like the 55th chapter of Isaiah. And we tell people to do that. And he was doing that. This man had traveled from Ethiopia to uh, the promised land there, uh, to uh, probably it was during a time of, of uh, one of the festivals. Uh, possibly he was still hanging around from Pentecost. I don't know. But he had made a great effort to get there to seek uh, the God of the Jews. He was trying to seek Jehovah. And who knows how much time that he spent there uh, during uh, Pentecost, and still he was unsatisfied. He was a religious man, but he wanted to know God for himself. And so he, how does he do that? He says, I'm unsatisfied, I'm going to go to the Word of God. <laughs> Nothing better you can do than go to the Word of God. If you want to seek the Lord, go to the Word of God. Get in God's Word. So he goes to the Word of God and begins to read the Word of God, and inevitably it is difficult for him to understand. But God, knowing his heart, knowing his heart has a man that he sends to him. And we see this in other places in the Scripture, don't we? I mean, we we see... um we see uh, the man that, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but the man that uh, God sent, uh, Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius, the man, the man that, that, uh, that God sent to uh, Peter because he was seeking the Lord. And so uh, God sent him to Peter to, to hear the gospel message earlier in the book of Acts. And uh, the same thing, or maybe later, uh, the same thing here. God has a man that he sends to him to preach him the gospel, to help him understand the scriptures. Listen, God has entrusted his church with the carrying out of the gospel to the world. Uh, The great commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Uh, God wants his church to teach all nations the gospel about how to get saved. And it's not just to teach them how to get saved. He says, uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So we find teaching is found twice in the Great Commission. Not just to uh, help people understand how to get saved, but it's to help people understand how to grow in sanctification and serve God for the rest of their lives. To grow. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. 
Here's where his faith pays off, right? His patience pays off. God tells him to go. He goes not knowing what he's going to get into. When he gets to that place, the Lord shows up. The Lord is faithful. The Lord directs him right exactly where that God wants him to be. Right over here at this chariot. This is where I want you to go. You know, God has someone for you to share the gospel with out there. Probably a lot of people, probably not just one. People that are starving for it. People that want to know. People that don't understand. And God has formed you in the experiences of your life uh, through salvation, through your attendance at the house of God, through your worship, through your study. God has formed you for the purpose of helping those people out there that He also loves. Philip ran thither. When Philip knew what he was supposed to do, he ran to that area. He didn't just didn't nonchalantly go over there. He didn't say, well, I'll get over there when I get to it, get around to it. When I got a little bit of time, maybe when he's done reading, he ran over there to where he was supposed to be. I'll tell you, time is short. We need to be about our Father's business. We need to work till Jesus comes. Too often we procrastinate and waste opportunities. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he asked the question. You understand what you're reading? He asked the question. He wasn't worried about the response. He didn't wear his feelings on his sleeve. He wasn't worried about it. He was interested in the man's soul. One time I was at a hospital and I was working and I heard these two women talking uh, somewhere behind me and one of the women had a religious question and the other woman was misdirecting her and telling her information that was not true. And the Lord just stirred up in me, go over and talk to that woman. And of course, my uh, the first thought that I had was, well, I'm here on the clock and I've got a busy list here that I've got to get through and I really don't have time for that. So I, like uh, Jonah, I walked down the hallway the opposite way. And as I was walking down the hallway, the old the old uh, power of the Spirit of God moving upon me got heavier and heavier till I made a bout face and went back to her. And I just walked up and said, listen, this introduced myself and said, hey, if you ever, and I, I don't even think I was called to preach at that point. I wasn't even called to preach. I said, if you ever have a question that I could help you with. I've been saved. I know the Lord. Let me know. And I, I don't know if I gave her my phone number or what. I think that kind of looked weird. You know, of course, when I do stuff like that, I go home and tell my wife first thing, hey, I gave a woman my phone number today at work, just so you know. Um, but uh, she uh, started a dialogue with me right there. And then later did call me at the house, and I had uh, quite a few discussions with her about salvation. You know. How can I accept some man should guide me? That man, that person, that woman, maybe you. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. You see the, the, the reception? God was working on the other end. 
Just like when I walked up to that complete stranger woman and said, hey, if you ever have any questions, I'd love, I'd love to be able to help you. And she was very receptive immediately. How many of those opportunities are out there for every one of us? All we think about is, well, someone's going to slam the door in my face. Someone's going to be rude to me. Someone's going to be disrespectful. Someone's going to hurt my feelings. But what about the 10 or 15 that have open ears that say, please tell me more? Or more than that. I don't know. I just threw those numbers out. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. I mean, here he's reading out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Uh, there, there may be no more descriptive section of Old Testament Scripture about the sufferings of Jesus than that one. Do you think that that was just by chance that he happened to be reading that Scripture when uh, the Lord directed Philip over to him? I don't. I don't. I believe that God directed the whole thing. You know, we have we have a, a an article of faith that we believe uh, called the Harmony of the Law and the Gospel. The harmony of the law and the gospel. And what that basically indicates is that there is a continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you know, so many people today have different beliefs out there. There are people that believe only in the Old Testament. They don't believe the New Testament has any value at all. There are people that believe in the New Testament. They don't believe the Old Testament has any value at all. But as we look at the scriptures, there's a clear continuity between the two. There are some people that believe the plan of salvation didn't start until until the day of Pentecost, or some that didn't start till uh, the New Testament age. But what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach? I mean, when I talked about Apollos the other night, how that he was eloquent uh, speaker and mighty in the Scriptures, but it also says this about him. It says... Uh, for and this is 18 and 28 of Acts, for he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Now, what scriptures did he use? Since the New Testament wasn't written in its completion at that point, he was using the Old Testament scriptures to prove to the Jews that Jesus is Christ. Well, since the Jew has rejected the New Testament, that's probably a good place to start. That's probably a good place to start. You know, we... When, when Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, what scriptures were Timothy, Timothy supposed to study? He was supposed to study the Old Testament. What I find so interesting is that, did you know the Gospels were actually written chronologically after some of the Pauline letters? I mean, that is just blows my mind. So many people want to say, oh, well, the New Testament writers just copied off of each other. How could they have? There were no gospel writings before the Apostle Paul wrote 12 to 13 books of the New Testament, depending on who you believe wrote the book of Hebrews. I mean, that's good stuff. And then... And then we go to the Old Testament scriptures and we see very clearly the Lord Jesus prophesied. And if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, then there's not going to be one based on the Old Testament scriptures. You go back to like Genesis 3.15, right? And you see the prophecy there, right in the Garden of Eden, where that God told the serpent, he said, listen, there's going to be a woman that's going to have a seed, which means in the Greek to procreate as a man. There's only one that ever had that. That was the Virgin Mary. And he said, there's going to be, there's going to be a woman that's going to have a seed and that seed, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to ruin you. 
speaking about the Messiah when the Messiah comes. And, and then, you know, you go a little farther and you'll see like in the 49th chapter of Genesis, here's, here's Jacob and Jacob is blessing his sons, right? He goes down through every one of his 12 sons and he gets to Judah and he says about Judah, he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh come. With making a reference to uh, the Messiah. And he says that Judah is going to be the ruling tribe all the way down until uh, Messiah comes. And if you look historically, where was David, what tribe was David from? He was from the tribe of Judah. Solomon from the tribe of Judah. Uh, when the monarchy split into Israel and Judah, Judah continued on longer. Judah was in authority all the way until when? The times of the Romans. At which point, who came along? The Messiah, Jesus, came at that point. You look a little farther. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It says what? It says that Messiah, Messiah, God, God Himself, the the God-man, would be born in Bethlehem. Prophesied in the Old Testament. You go a little farther. To Daniel chapter 9 with the 70 weeks prophecy. And the 70 weeks prophecy, uh, he says that after 69 weeks, which a, a day for a, a, a day for a year, uh, ends up being 483 years. He says 483 years from now, Messiah is gonna, gonna come. And the time that that was given was for the, the time that that declaration was made, uh, by that king was around 457 BC. So you do the math and you subtract 457 from 483 and it comes right in at 26 AD, right at the time when Messiah came and Jesus was here during his personal ministry. You know, Daniel wanted to know, God, hey, listen, this 70 weeks of, ca- this 70 years of captivity in Babylon is up. What's next? When's the Messiah coming? So God told him, he said he's coming about 26 AD. That's when he'll be here. I mean, you look at all this and you say, you say, the, all the, the pointing from the Old Testament prophets. I mean, what scriptures did Apollos use to, uh, from the Old Testament to prove to the Jews that Jesus was Christ? What did he use? He probably used some of those. These scriptures pointed to the time when Messiah would come. He had to be in the tribe of Judah. He had to be born in Bethlehem. He had to come during the times of the Romans. He had to come right around 26 AD. Listen, if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, there's never going to be one. (laughs) There's never going to be one. Because the Messiah has missed his time if it wasn't Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We look at these old, Ted. what's he do here? He goes to the Old Testament scriptures here in the book of Isaiah to preach Jesus to them. You look like Paul did the very same thing. We look in the Gospels and most people use Romans as their primary guide for the study of soteriology, right? The study of the plan of salvation. I mean, we even have false denominations that use the Roman road, right? They use uh, this false way of going through uh, Romans and trying to get people to uh, accept the Lord, which is heretical. Uh, but you look at Romans and what did Paul use as some examples in the book of Romans to prove New Testament salvation theology? In Romans chapter 4 he said, hey, you remember Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham got saved by faith in Christ. 
And then he said, hey, you remember David? Remember David was like a thousand years before Christ came? He said, uh, and he quotes there in chapter 4, he quotes the 32nd Psalm. I'm going to read it because I'll mess it all up. He says this in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Romans, Even as David also described the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth, or God puts the charges to his account, righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin, or God will not leave that, make that person be responsible for the sins that they've committed eternally. God will forgive them. They will not pay the sin penalty for it. Paul's saying, listen, David was saved by faith in Christ. Uh, 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 Abraham was saved by faith in Christ. You remember the great question that Jesus asked the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22. He said, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Whose son is he? They said, well, he's David's son. He said, well, then why in spirit did David say, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. <laughs> he said, David called Jesus his Savior, his God. What are you going to do with that tonight? Every single person's got to answer that question. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? <laughs> is he just a man? Or is he the God-man? Is he the Savior? Is he the Messiah? Listen, this book is all about Jesus. <laughs> Isaiah said in chapter 7, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and have a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, <laughs> the angel said his name will be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. God with us. So we also have a virgin conceiving and bearing a son, a Messiah. <laughs> yeah, we, we can look to the Old Testament Scriptures and we can prove Christ, can't we? Sure we can. Amen. That's right. Amen. Salvation is from the beginning to the end. It wasn't just the second coming we talked about the other night. It's not just the resurrection that's talked about in the Old Testament. <laughs> it's Jesus in the plan of salvation. This man's reading this section about the suffering servant. Oh my goodness, what a, I mean, if you, if you've never read that section, you need to study that. I mean, what a blessing it is to think about the things that Jesus suffered. I mean, how humbling, uh, it is to read that section, but I want to read just a few verses there, uh, in that section, that 53rd chapter prior to verse 7 and 8, which uh, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading. Now, I'm presuming tonight that he read some of these verses before he got to the section where that Philip heard him. But it says in verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We didn't think much of him. Surely he hath borne or he hath carried our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Yes, Jesus suffered a great thing so that you would have the opportunity to be saved. This man didn't understand who the writer, who the writer was talking about. He said... Uh, 
And, and, and he reads the section that talks about how that Jesus made no excuses when he was put on trial. He didn't make any excuses. He didn't defend himself. At one point, the Sanhedrin said, Are you the Son of God? He said in Mark chapter 14, I am. <laughs> I am. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of God. There were several places where he identified himself as divinity in the New Testament. And you need to become familiar with those. One time a Jehovah's Witness came to my door. And he began to talk to me and he said, well, Jesus never said that he was the Messiah, the son of God. And I said, you know, that's not true. You know, the scriptures well enough to know that that's not a true statement. Let me just bring a couple to your uh, to your attention tonight in the book of John. And uh, we, we already said uh, Mark chapter 14 is one where you can find it in the book of John. And I don't know how I'm doing, Sister Betty, but I'm just going to go tonight. OK, uh, John chapter five, John chapter five. Uh, and it says, it says, uh, in verse 17, it says, uh, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work, I work, my father works, he works all the time. And just like him, I work all the time too, spiritually, powerfully, because I'm God, just like he is. And how do we know? Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. How much clearer can we see it tonight? In John chapter 8, you remember uh, that uh, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, I believe, there. And he said... Um, he said in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they said, What? You're not even 50 years old. And you saw Abraham? How in the world? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Echoing the same thing that God said in giving his name to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Saying, you just tell, you tell them that I am that I am has uh, sent you. The ever-present, all-existing God. Again, then they took, took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. There was only five reasons why someone could be stoned. And the only one that applies here is blasphemy. Because he was making himself equal with God. So every time you see them pick up stones, it's because Jesus has clearly enunciated to everyone present, I'm God. I'm God. He did it in chapter uh, 5. He did it in chapter 8. He does it in chapter 10. In verse 30, he says, I and my Father are one. Put himself on an equality there with the Father, didn't he? Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why'd they do that? Because they accused him of blasphemy. I mean, we need to lift up Jesus as deity, as divine, as divine, uh, when we talk to people. You know, it's amazing if you ever Google search the number of religions that deny the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's more out there than you realize, and there's more than I realized. I'll bet you a good a good 50% of the religions out there are close to it. And I just made that number up. You're going to have to go research it. Uh, but there's a good portion of them that deny the divinity of Jesus. We need to be able, by the Scriptures, to help them see and understand that Jesus is God. Because if they see Jesus as anything other than God, they'll never get saved. They'll never get saved. Got to believe that God created Got to believe that Jesus is the God man and that he died for your sins. 
The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet of himself or some other man. He didn't understand. You know, the Jews were looking for a king to come. When they looked at the Old Testament scriptures and they looked, they applied the scriptures that talked about the mighty power of Messiah. In this 53rd chapter of Isaiah, we see the humiliation of Messiah. We see Messiah punished and suffering and the Jew in his pride did not like to identify Messiah that way. So you could see why there would be confusion. <laughs> but G- but uh, Philip told him, said, no, he began from that scripture and did what? He preached unto him Jesus. Preached unto him Jesus. Boy, there's so much more that could be said tonight about the divinity of Jesus and about uh, the proof of uh, Jesus from the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to study that. Study that. Uh, you, you think that the only time we can worship is when we come to the house of God? I mean, we need to come to the house of God and collectively worship. But brothers and sisters, when you don't study the word of God, you rob yourself. You rob yourself. Some of the best times that I've had have been in my study by myself. And I often say that I wish that I could express from the pulpit 50% of what I feel in my heart when I've studied the word of God. And God has communed and blessed me and given me some knowledge of the truth. When we don't obey the word, we hurt ourselves. As they went on their way, they came unto certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Man, that's a question. If you're going to attempt to evangelize, talk to anybody out in the world, and you're going to, I've said to people before, have you ever been saved? Probably the number one response I get is, I was baptized at this point. So many are confused today. They don't understand that baptism does not save a person. That baptism is only applicable after that you've already been saved. And this Ethiopian eunuch apparently had some question about that too. Here's water. I see, I see other people getting baptized. What's keeping me from being baptized? But notice what he said. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. Thou mayest. He is requiring a testimony of salvation before he would baptize that Ethiopian eunuch. That's the same thing John the Baptist required. He required testimony of salvation before he said, generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring ye therefore fruits, meat for repentance, and say not within yourselves that we have Abraham as our father, for God can of these stones raise up children unto Abraham. Give me some fruits. Tell me about what happened to you. What did God do for you and changing you? How'd you get saved? He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But we know from Romans chapter 10 that a person has to believe within the heart first before confession can be made with the mouth. There has to be a work of the heart first that produces the ability to give a true confession. Uh, The confession is not what causes the salvation any more than baptism would be the cause of salvation. Any more than works would be the cause of salvation. But salvation is the cause and the confession is the effect. Just like the baptism is the effect, just like the works are the effect, just like anything else is the effect. But the salvation is the cause. You must be born again. You must be. <laughs> you remember the... Uh, the uh, Philippian jailer, he came to Paul and Silas and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? On the day of Pentecost, men and brethren, what shall we do? And it was always the same response. 
Repent. Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn to God. So we know that this man repented at some point here and trusted the Lord and got saved. And because of that, he was able to make a confession of faith. You remember Jesus defined that for us too in Matthew chapter 16, didn't he? Uh, With Peter. He said, who do men say that I am? He said, well, some say you're Elijah. Um, Others say you're uh, someone else. I can't remember. He said, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did, what did Jesus say? He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You had a supernatural experience and a revelation from God that you were His. A revelation from God. It wasn't just a decision you made in your mind. It wasn't just trying to turn over a new leaf or become a new person, make a new habit of life. But God changed me. God changed me. And that's what, that's what Peter was saying. And that's the, that's what the, the church is built upon. It's built upon confessions of faith. Jesus said, upon this rock, a confession of faith in Him, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We always need to demand a testimony of faith before somebody joins the church. And I've been places where, uh, where people did not require a testimony of salvation before they took people as a member of the church. That's not good. That's not good. He commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip uh, and, and the eunuch, and he baptized them and when they were, they were come up out of the water. Now I'll tell you, from what I study and read in the scripture, I've never understood why there was confusion about the, mo, uh, about the method of baptism. I've never, I've never understood it. From the standpoint, what I'm talking about is sprinkling versus immersion. And when you look at what what baptism is a symbol of, it's a symbol of a death, a burial, and a resurrection. I don't know about you, but I've never been to a funeral yet where somebody walked up with a handful of dirt, cast it on on the on the uh, casket, and said, "You're buried." Matter of fact, the last funeral I was at, they actually brought a bulldozer out and pushed the dirt over the over completely covered up the 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 uh, casket. That was a little different. They went down into the water and came up out of the water. If that doesn't tell you what the method of baptism is, I'm not sure what would. How about the word baptism itself? Greek word baptizo means to dip, plunge, or immerse. When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. The eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing. I bet he did. What a what a great he went down there by faith. I bet both of them went away went away rejoicing. One because he got saved and one because he followed the Lord by faith and God opened up a blessing, opened up the windows of heaven and poured out a blessing that he couldn't even receive. I can't speak for you, but if you are ever have the opportunity to work with somebody and witness to somebody and talk with somebody and they end up eventually seeking the Lord and getting saved, it is about the best blessing that you can get other than getting saved yourself. Not that we have anything to do or that we can take any credit whatsoever. The credit is all the Lord's. But what a blessing that He allows us to have just a little peace of this work of trying to preach and speak and love and help people and point them to the cross. 
If you're lost tonight, seek the Lord. I mean, I don't really have any profound statement to make about it other than that's what the Bible says to do. That's what the Bible says to do. Seek the Lord. Repent of your sins. Cry out to God. Go searching for Him. You're not going to find Him until you go searching for Him. If you're saved tonight, oh, that we all, oh, that we all could be more like Philip. I mean, we want to be more like Jesus. But Philip, I'm not trying to exalt Philip tonight, but Philip was following Jesus. Remember what Paul said in one place? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Same way for Philip. But let's, let's take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow Him. And let's, let's spread the gospel to this, this community. To this lost and dying community, this lost and dying world. That God may be glorified.